Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and wellness. We're so glad you're listening. Today we wrap up our three-part series on change. We'll talk about how to help others cope with changes, the kinds of help we can give ourselves and others, changing majors when you're in college, and also we'll talk about what it's like to experience the world as it rapidly changes around us. To talk about all this and more, here are Michael, Evan, and Lindsay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone Podcast, the podcast that explores faith and well-being each week. I am Evan, and I am joined, as always, by my two wonderful co-hosts, Michael and Lindsay. I will let them introduce themselves. Hello, everyone. Michael McCord here. Glad to be with you again, and I look forward to today's conversation around change. Hey, everybody. Lindsay Geist, back again, a uh, licensed clinical social worker as well as a pastor. Um, and hopefully some of that experience uh, will translate into this conversation. Okay, so week three on change, everyone. First week, we chatted a little bit about just the uh, clinical term around change. It's not like a disorder or anything, but we talked about the clinical views on change and how they break it down. And then the second week, we chatted a little bit about the theological perspective on change uh, from the Bible, specifically from like a Wesleyan perspective. Let's do a little catch up. Lindsay, talk to us about those kind of five stages of change that we've been using to frame these conversations. So if as a refresher, if you didn't have a chance to listen to episode one, the five stages of change that are often talked about in the clinical world are pre-contemplation. So that's before you're even really thinking about making the change or possibly even denial. Then you move into contemplation. And that's when you start thinking about making the change and possibly making that decision. Then we move into preparation. Preparation is when we start planning ahead. Uh, I call this the to-do list stage where you start thinking through what steps are going to have to take place to make effective change. And then we jump into action, uh, which so many people love being able to do something. And so this is the actual doing part of the stages of change. And then there's the stage of maintenance, which is where we need to keep checking in and trying to figure out if there's any modifications that we need to make, um, any updates, any tweaks that we need to make to continue to hold that change. So I've been thinking about a good bit since since our last episode about those stages of change. And uh, one, I wanted to know whether this was going to be the uh, emotion wheel of 2021. Is it, is it this, what stage of change? The stages of change? So I don't like think our... this is going to be the thing that I'll bring up in every episode, um, uh, but we never know. I mean, we're early in 2021. I just imagined Evan's grandmother's, like, what kind of necklace she could make out of the stages of change. But, you know. Yeah, my, my grandma lovingly made me a feelings wheel and shipped it to me when we were talking about figuring out our emotions. And uh, it looks amazing it's massive and it has like a styrofoam backing and i look like the uh, flavor flave of emotions <laughs> see and i want to be the equivalent of change because that's oh, if you remember goodness. last week uh or uh, i think it was like last week or maybe the week before i was talking about how much i love and embrace change i just i really like change um but 
It, Have you, your furniture all seems to be in the same place this week, though. So you haven't uh, moved your office furniture. But is it? That's the question. Maybe you just haven't picked up on what's new. Oh. Uh, I don't know. But it was funny. Playing I Spy. That's the game. But no, in, in all seriousness, no, thinking about this change and, and those steps that I thought really kind of helped put into words what people go through when they're experiencing change. Um, I, I do some coaching and working with some clients who, uh, who are thinking about making changes in their jobs. And it, it was, it was just pretty kind of profound how it sort of lined up with their experience as they, as they were sort of expressing what they were going through in it, that, that sort of pre-conscious, like, uh, for, for both of them, they were like, um, I just felt unsettled. I wasn't quite sure things fit. I wasn't quite as, it wasn't anything specific. It was just all of a sudden sort of like there was something that was stirring in me. Um, and then they kind of moved into this, like, hmm, I'm going to test. I'm just going to look and see what kind of jobs are out there. If I took a job, what would it look like? Where would I want? And then, and, and they kind of did that for a while. And then they started to apply for jobs and be interviewed. And then, um, you know, and then actually, what, what's interesting about both of these scenarios is that they end up staying where they were because they discovered through that process that really where they were was where they wanted to be, but they did it with a new, a new perspective. So it, it, in some ways they experienced change, not in the way they thought they were going to experience it from the beginning. But uh, I, I just thought that was a kind of a sort of experience, maybe a shared experience some of us have had when we've gone to changing jobs. Or I think about two college students changing majors uh, is a very similar sort of emotional experimental kind of uh, experience. Um, as yes, it is. Out where where they're going to land professionally uh, in the world. How many times did you guys change your major? Only once. Only once. Um, Michael, what what'd you start as? I started as biology. What'd you end up, up as? Psychology. Okay, I started as math uh, and ended up religious studies. Wow. See, that's a, I mean, I didn't, that's a journey. I feel like biology to psychology is, you know, sort of. And I will, I will put a caveat there. I didn't give up math. I just chose that that wasn't going to be my career anymore. And I ended up just adding religious studies as my double major. Oh my uh, gosh. You didn't change your major. You got another one. Well, I, it, this is a long story. I was on scholarship and I was very close. I was nearing the end and, um, was feeling God's tug on my heart to change in a different direction. This is a way longer story than changing your major. Um, so I added a major, but in but essence, see, that's in my mind, perfect. you just, yeah, you just exactly exemplified it. what, what we're talking about that, that it happens, change happens in unlikely moments and it kind of just stirs up out of sometimes it seemingly nowhere it can mm -hmm. feel like, and then you, you take steps to respond to it. So I think that's yeah, I think it is crazy how change can feel like it comes out of nowhere sometimes. Um, but when you look back, you can often see the small steps mm -hmm. that were leading towards you finally going, OK, you know what? I think that I am ready to make a change or I want to make a change um, because I don't think in the moment I could have described all the small stirrings that were happening in me mm. until all of a sudden it came together. And I said, you know what? I think that I feel called to do something very different with my life. Um, you realized you only like to count in threes and sevens. Is that, 
So it happens to a mathematician who feels called. It's like everything goes back to three. I, I actually only use it to count the number of souls I'm saving. That's right. I see, I see that hand. <laughs> I think one of the things that's interesting for me about change is how much gets caught up in it. Like it, it kind of is like just this tangled mess of stuff. And then things change and you're like, do I feel bad about the change? Is there something else that's happened? Like, I don't really know how to disentangle all of these things. Like when we got married, uh, some advice we got was change as little as you can around your lives when you get married, if you can. Uh, so because marriage is going to feel good and it's going to feel weird, but if so many things change when you get married, like if you move and you take a new job and you do this, you're not going to know if the things that you're feeling are because of marriage or because of the new job or because you moved and you're not around your friends. Like you're not going to, it's going to be harder to identify all these different things. And if you don't change a bunch and you just kind of, the only thing that's changed is that you've gotten married. It's a really solid investment for the first part of your marriage because you can kind of evaluate the dynamic in a different way and not have to worry that it's embroiled with the fact that you actually just miss your friends because you moved across the country. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I know that that's not ideal and I know that it doesn't work out that way. But for us, that's how it was. We, we stayed in the same kind of area and the only thing that really changed was that we got a townhouse together and we were married, but you know, the jobs didn't change too much and that kind of stuff. And I felt like it really set us up for a kind of unique, the advice set us up for some, some really unique perspective on that aspect of change in our lives. I think you named something really important is that um, not only can we discern what the change, uh, how it's impacting us, um, but I think that we can handle change a lot better when everything doesn't change at the same time. Um, we're designed as creatures of habit. And so we like routines and we like uh, regular, uh, anything to ha happen at regular consistency. Um, and when things get, when we change something, we need the anchors and the strongholds of everything else um, to be able to navigate that one thing being different. And learning to find our rhythm in that place. You know, it's interesting, though, when I think about myself, I don't know, maybe I am weird. I will, I will accept that, that I'm, I'm a, somewhat of an outlier in some things. But at, when, when a big change like marriage or changing a job or sort of these more substantive changes happens in my life, I often find that it's sort of like, um, you know, if you, if you, if you change your furniture in your bedroom or in your house somewhere or something, some kind of like, it becomes like a remodeling thing. Like there's one change leads to another change leads to another change. Inspires other and, change. And it inspires and creates, you know, there's, there's friction there because I think what you point out is it's so hard. We are creatures of habit and, and creatures of comfort and we get into that place. But then when we, we tear open up that vulnerability of change and say, we're going to do this then it creates opportunities for other kinds of change. And I think, I think to your point, Evan, I think it, that's, that's, a, that's a thing that one should be aware of, for sure, is that you're not just changing everything in the first year of, of your, whatever your major change, if it's a new job, if it's a new uh, a spouse, if it's you know, children or, or any of those kinds of big momentous changes. 
you know, to be aware and be sensitive that, that you need to pay attention to, to, to what's, what you're actually experiencing and, and that where that experience is coming from. But also I think it, it, it's important to realize that change sometimes brings about change uh, in other ways that you, you weren't seeing coming either. I think what you're talking about is some of the equilibrium that we've created in our lives, um, both individually and in our relationships. There is um, kind of this homeostasis um, or wow. equal. I know. It. Okay, Michael, go back to your biology time. Well, it's like a, a place of equilibrium, a balance. We're just sort mm-hmm. of sitting and, and we're comfortable and we're and that's homeostasis. So I I just had to throw it in to, you know, send you as a throwback to biology. Thank you. I'm now quivering on the floor thinking about biology exams I had to take. (laughs) Well, we have, we all have this some kind of a somewhat homeostasis about our lives. Um, And when we change something, most likely there is going to be a trickle down effect of needing to change a few other things to find that new equilibrium. Um, but you don't necessarily throw everything up at the same time and hope you, it all lands in the right place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, that yes, you can change a lot of things at once. Um, and some people make those drastic changes where they sell everything take a new job, move across the country, do all of these dramatic things. Um, And that's really successful for some people. But I would say for the majority of people, um, changing one, maybe two things at a time, rechecking in with your balance and, and seeing what the homeostasis looks like for you, and then using it as a trickle down effect might be the healthiest and what feels a little bit safer and uh, gives you strength to keep the ball rolling. I'm in, but what happens <laughs> but. when... Yeah, I'm in. I, 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 let me be very clear. I'm in, but what... We've been talking a lot about elective change, like change that we choose. Is there a, a framing of how you think about change when it's not our decision to change? Like somebody breaks up with us or we get our job asks us to move or our job asks us to move to another job because we don't they don't want us anymore. <laughs> that or, was a polite way of a job. Let us go. <laughs> right. Or, you know, we lose a family member or a friend. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's lots of change that it seems like is not elective that does although the steps may be the same how we would cope with it would be pretty radically different yeah i do think that there's a difference uh in in some ways between chosen change and forced change i think that um chosen change we've spent a lot more time in the uh contemplation stage Uh, we've been thinking about it and then the change happens forced change. Um, in essence is an action trigger that sends you to the beginning of all of this. Um, and so I, I think that it feels different, uh, and might, we have to be kinder to ourselves when it comes to forced change that, 
it might take us a lot longer to process through hmm. forced change because we didn't have all of that buildup of contemplating it and preparing for it before the action happened. Um, there was an action that then sent us into a spiral back to having to sort of think about it. Did you guys ever play shoots and ladders? Yes. I you know hate incredibly complex games. It's just a, so if, you, if you've never played shoots and ladders, <laughs> one that can a, make you feel real bad about your life. Real fast. I, think, I think it's the perfect analogy for this part of change because in shoots and ladders, you just spin a wheel. Then a number shows up, and depending on where you land, if you land on a ladder, you can choose to move your way up the ladder, and it seems more prepared, right? Like Kind of like our five steps of change. Or if you land on a chute or a slide, you just instantly get teleported back to where you were, and you don't really have a choice of the matter. And I feel like that's how change can feel in my life sometimes, mm -hmm. is that sometimes I can get a number that brings me to a ladder, and I'm like oh, this seems clearly defined, and I think I want to go up. And then sometimes it's like, you had a rug underneath you. The world has pulled it. Now figure it out, kid. Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree. What I think is really fascinating is, the, is, is our human's ability to be resilient in those moments and to re-examine um, re those moments and look at, at, reframe them as sort of these really transformational experiences too. Like I think about, I know this is a, a little bit on this l less life oriented side, but, but the pandemic obviously threw all kinds of things up in the air. One of those is the use of, of zoom, right? It, it's, it's almost, it's ubiquitous. Now the idea of meet, having meetings online, people meeting from their homes and working from home, like that was a major, a major radical shift that was forced upon us all. And it took us a long time to get there, but I think we've been able to reframe it and see some of the benefits of being able to meet electronically. And I think that's that's one of the interesting things about humans and our, our sense of resiliency that we're able to sort of step back and reframe and think, I mean, I look, I look at some of the most painful, um, you know, some of the, some of the moments of change that were the most painful and the most outside of my control and able to come back and say, it's, it's pretty amazing how, that moment changed me in ways that it's also been helpful. It's also, you know. We are pretty adaptable. It's incredible when you think about our resiliency as human beings and how we've adapted and shifted as, as a result of having to navigate the world around us. Mm -hmm. I wonder what we can do practically to deal with change in a healthier way in our lives. Cause I kind of compare it to, we have two dogs. We have Roosevelt and we have Kennedy and Kennedy was found on the side of the road and she lived on the street for a little while. And you can tell a huge difference between the dog that has never wanted for anything in his life and the dog that lived on the street for a while. And it's most well illustrated when we go to the vet. Because Roosevelt very happily goes to the vet, gets out of the car. They're his friends. You pull up to the vet and Kennedy starts planning how she's not going to 
let you pull her out of the car from the moment you arrive. She spreads her front paws out. She like jumps in all the different seats. She's clawing through every door frame. I've literally seen when she gets taken into a room, she throws both paws out and stops on this door frame like a cartoon. And they have to like slowly peel her paws <laughs> off of the door frame <laughs> to get her in. She needs to go to the vet. It's it's very important that she goes to the vet. Like it, it's really critical. But I feel like that's how we deal with change in our lives a lot of the time or how we deal with help friends deal with change. It's like, I don't really know what to do. I know you need to be in this room right now. I know that you need to be here to get healthy and that this change, like I need to, as a friend, help you cope with this change. And we have to go through this door frame. But I don't know whether I should talk sweetly to you and help you through it or if it's my role as your friend to peel your claws from the sides of the door frame so that you'll move on in your life. You know what I mean? And so I, I wonder to what extent we as friends and family and, and our coworkers as they deal with change, like what, what are some practical things that we can do to help others in our lives experience change and be supportive? Well, first of all, I don't, I don't think that we have to be our friend's therapists. I think that we're allowed to be their friends and say those positive, encouraging things. And then encourage them to work with somebody that may be able to say some of the harder things. Um, and I and I recommend that because to help people we love go through change, um, we need to help them find their anchors. That there are some things that have feel stable feel consistent. Um, so while they're navigating something that's unknown, there is something that is known in all of that. And so I, I think that we should help those that we love by being their anchors, by being present, by showing up, by being there for them. Um, and not necessarily changing all of our interactions with them, uh, but just being present and consistent. I can think of some moments of big change in my life and those who were who were available and consistent and, and sort of like a, I think particularly those moments that were sort of thrust upon me, they weren't really my choice of change. Having someone who reminds me who I've always been and, and because I think that's particularly in those moments where something, some changes pushed upon you, you start to, or at least I do start to examine, it's like, is something like, is something off about me? Like, is this like, did I do something? And, hmm. you know, and, and to have those friends and those people who, who were, who, who knew you before you lost your job or before you um, lost the, the person that you thought you were going to marry or, or any of those sorts of like those big thrust upon life moments and and remind you that of who you are and the consistency that you've had in that character and that person, I think really offers a lot of support for someone who's going through change, particularly I, change that's been hard. I use the word anchor. In some ways, what you're talking about sounds like somebody, people serving as identity anchors to you uh, to remind you of your own identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair because... I think especially I've just known some friends who've lost jobs in rather abrupt ways and it, and it made them sort of just question everything about who they were 
what they thought the world was like, what they thought they were going to do. Because I think it just, it's such a rug pulled out from under you. And to have someone who's there that says, you're okay. You're still, you're still a licensed clinical social worker. You're still, you're still, you're still a really creative leader who offers people the ability to make change in their life. And I mean, I think those, like those kinds of placements in life are really important. I love that idea of being an anchor to change for our friends. Cause then you can just be a friend, you know, like you don't have to be anything other than what you are. And I feel personally, like I probably over, I blur my role around change because I like, I like change. I like to change things. I like when things change. Uh, I'm not quite as addicted to it as Michael, uh, just so that I can make someone else be further on that spectrum than me on it. So I feel good about myself because as long as I'm not the most extreme person in the room, that means that I'm a whole and complete person. That's how I define myself. It's <laughs> uh, just not being the, so the most somewhere extreme. in the middle between the right. holes. The, you're good. Well, the correct answer is always in the middle. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just, it's always whatever is kind of medium temperature. That's good. It's good for a food. Just cook it to like 130, leave it there for a while. Nothing bad can happen. <laughs> I, as we're talking about all this, uh, I know that it would be lovely to ignore the pandemic and like it hasn't happened. But I think that that's what's made um, some of this. I've been thinking about the the change that we've gone through in this last year. And it was change that was forced change, not necessarily chosen change. And because uh, for the so, record, I wanted to spend a year where I didn't hug anybody but my immediate family, and I, I miss to stay in my basement so and never leave for a year. Just just because I thought, you know, yeah, why not? Oh man, I'm ready to hug a lot of people. Um, I'm super extroverted. For anybody that doesn't know me in real life, um extroverted and like love every person that I've ever met. So if I did not ask for that change either, Michael. Um, so all of the change that's happened in this past year, we've had a hard time finding our anchors and especially our identity anchors of who am I? How, uh, how do I, know how do I identify myself? How do I feel comfortable in my skin? How do I know where my life is headed? Um, because so much changed at once that those things that we held on to all feel like they fell away at the same time. Um, and in a lot of ways, we need to try to be help be identity anchors to one another, to remind each other who we are and who we were prior to all these changes. So what is a good way for me to, when I'm feeling like I'm kind of floating? For me, my brain gets to the place where I'm just considering so many different possibilities when things are changing that I feel like I'm just floating. And when I reach for things, there's nothing there. It's like, I'm just like 
you know that moment when you jump into a pool and you're like, I'm a kid, I'm going to dive as, at, down to the bottom, like as far as I can, you know, like I'm going to touch the bottom of the pool, like that's it. And you touch the bottom of the pool and you feel that pressure in your ears and like your sinuses are starting to like tingle. And so you're like, okay, great. Now I got to swim back up and you push off the bottom of the pool and you're like, this is awesome. And then you take one big, like kind of floundering stroke with your arms and you go up and you're, you're like, okay, great. I'm almost to the surface. But then you're not to the surface, but your brain is like, hey, we need air. And so then you just kind of go from this structured plan where I'm going to touch the bottom, I'm going to push off with my feet, I'm going to swim up to the top, and then I'm going to do it, to we're not at the top, and I need air right now, and I feel like I'm drowning. And so by the time you break the surface, like you're like, you know, you take that just awful like breath that you hear kids make when you know they've been underwater for too long, and they're fine but there's just this panicked look in their face you know there's parts of your brain that start firing off that you never normally listen to because they're like we need air i think emotionally that's how it happens so when they're in that floating state where we're in that panic mode how do we find an anchor when we feel like all that's around us is just water and the oxygen is somewhere above us we think that's a powerful analogy um how deep was your pool? Eight your sinuses were imploding. <laughs> I have a weak, just felt I have like a that as sinuses. a kid. <laughs> um, I, How deep was your pool? <laughs> that's the part of the story you got hung up on? <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, I, when you're three feet tall. And then, and then cool. can we just say, can we just say that I think for us and who've gone through this pandemic is we've been at that perpetual, we can see that we think we see the top of the water and then the water level is just a little bit further out of reach. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's that, that kind of continuous change. Scrooge McDuck is sitting outside the pool with a fire hose. Like <laughs> they'll never get to the top. <laughs> I think that uh, coming back to some of, Naming what hasn't changed oh. is helpful for us in those moments to keep surviving and keep giving us a little bit of energy is saying, what do I know? What is consistent? What hasn't changed? What is still true as I know it? that those things hold a lot of power because yeah, it's about, I mean, it's about telling our brains that there it's, it, it's all playing tricks on you in some ways that you do have some stability. Go ahead, Michael. Sorry. I was finishing no, my I, thought. I think that's a, a great way to think about and a great tool, I think for that experience, because, um, it does it in a way that's not just about a silver lining, which which is where I probably land. Like I want to go when I'm faced with something hard. I want to look for the silver lining in it all and try to point to that and not necessarily experience the the hurt or the loss or the change. Just move on. Um, but I think what you're suggesting is to fully embrace what you're experiencing and, and recognize that it is there and it's real, but also recognize that it's 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 along with all these other things that aren't yeah you know, that aren't stirring and aren't 
uncertain, but they are real and that, that are consistent and something for you to hook on to in the, and when everything else feels like it may be sort of mm. out there. I love the way that connects back to support network too, that in those moments we can help rely on those outside perspectives. I'll say the people outside of the pool, for example, who are looking at you like you're fine, uh, to be able to help us find what those anchors are. I love that analogy. Like figure out what your what your anchors are. Figure out what is true, what is the same, and use that as a springboard. Because it reconnects us with identity too. When we're in those moments of desperation, we start thinking irrationally. Like nothing's the same. We've lost everything. And <laughs> yeah. and so we're, it's about intent it's about intentionally bringing ourselves back to saying, okay, what hasn't changed? What do we know? What is still true? Mm-hmm. What hasn't changed? What is the same? What do we know is still true? Mm-hmm. The real challenge there is that I'm going to have to remember that when I'm freaking out about change. <laughs> I need like a like do not break like break glass in case of change, and then I need like that audio clip to play. You know what? If you're in a state of change and you're feeling desperate and floundering all over the place, you can call Michael or myself, and we will serve as your anchors, and we will remind you that you're going to make it. Yeah, that's why we get together every week to record. Really, just to help me cope with life. <laughs> Pay you to do this podcast. <laughs> That's right. Um, you two are. I mean, in a sappy moment, you two are an anchor in the midst of this weird world right now, and that's what I also hope that this podcast can be for other people: is that a regular anchor for people to uh, feel like there are others walking with them through this as we navigate the craziness of the world and figure out where our faith and our well-being fits in it all. I think it's, I think you're precisely right. I think that in these moments, um, you can feel very alone uh, if you lost your job, if you've lost a loved one, and if you've had to make a major shift in your life, find out you have a serious health condition that's going to up, upheave everything that you know. Um, those kinds of you can feel very alone uh, in those moments, and I think that our hope is that in joining in life with us, that you realize that you're not alone, and that and that what you're going through and what you're feeling is okay and is normal, and and to encourage you to find people around you to be those those lifeguards who are watching you, who who remind you of who you are, what what, what you've been through, and where you're going, and that you're still loved and that you're still supported no matter what what comes your way. Amen. I think that's a wrap for this week. I'm I'm fired up. Did you want to close it out with thanking Justin or anything? Oh yeah, I will. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> we should leave this part in unclipped. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you so much to Justin 
Patton, who produced this episode and does the music. Thank you, Justin. We appreciate you greatly. As always, you can find uh, future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate any and all feedback and appreciate all the reviews that you've left on uh, iTunes and other services. It really helps us shape uh, the content of the podcast. We're enjoying our second season here of the Not Alone podcast and want to say thanks again that uh, you took the time to listen to this and join with us on this journey. Uh, And just remember that you are not alone. We will see you next episode. Thanks, everyone.